Hello, and welcome to the Victory Podcast. I'm your host, Monique Watson. On this episode, I sat down with Professor Brian Condal and a friend of the pod, Oliver O.T. Thomas. Throughout this episode, you hear me uh, refer to the professor, prof, any of those things. We've had our exchanges um, on the Good Morning Show on WBOK 1230 AM in New Orleans, Um radio. And so this was a bit of discussion in a longer form to talk about a a variety of topics, COVID-19, the vaccine. Um, We talked about the impeachment at that time. Um, The final vote hadn't been cast, so sort of our take on that, as well as um, a host of other topics. So stay tuned, and I hope you enjoy. All right, so welcome to a special episode of the Victory Podcast. It's going to be a bit different from before. I'm your host, Monique Watson, and I have two fantastic human beings on today. And actually, I'm going to be doing something I've never done and handing over the hosting duties, but onto a well-qualified human being that I have, who's also been a guest of the show, Oliver O.T. Thomas. Um, So I'm going to hand over most of the hosting duties of today's interview. And we also have uh, Dr. Blair Condal of uh, Dillard University on with us as well. Uh, first of all, uh, Monique, it's an honor to be back with you and especially uh, uh, two people that uh, have a lot of respect for uh, with, uh, with uh, Professor Condal uh, five days a week hosting the, the Good Morning Show and of course uh, uh, being a fan of what you're doing with Victory and keeping up community and keeping uh, people informed. So I'm looking forward to facilitating. I don't know if it's from the left and the right uh, of the wrong and the right, but it's from what, but it's from one side and the other. So I'm looking for because you've been on our show, man, and uh, the debates and the conversation between you and Pra, I think are worthy of this prime time opportunity. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just glad to be here. You know, yeah. I, I had to audition to get on the show, so yes, you I'm glad to be here, Ot and Monique. Thank you so much for for having me, man. It, it's it's tough out here in the streets, now, nah, You know. I, I, <laughs> Well, 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 Prof, you want to tell folk maybe anything special about you before we get into some of these topics that uh, our audience is concerned about? Yeah, um, I, I teach. I'm a professor of political science at Dillard University, a 150-year-old HBCU in New Orleans, Louisiana. Um, I work in the oaks, man. We have beautiful oak trees, 100-year-old oak trees. Um, I, I know that has nothing to do with nothing, but it has something to do with something. <laughs> Because let me tell you something, O.T., those trees are deeply rooted. They've withstood Hurricane Katrina, uh, right. all kind of natural disasters, and they're still standing. And that, that should be a testament to um, um, our people. I'm, I'm not going to even say Black people, yeah. American people, because I, I go in and out of this whole Black African-American thing. That's a whole other conversation. But it's a testament to the strength of our people um, as Americans. And so... Um, th- that's where we are, and, and I'm looking. Well, 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 I think that's a good segue. I don't know that Monique needs much of an introduction. It's her podcast, of course. Um, Oliver Thomas, host, co-host of the Good Morning Show, uh, worked for an uh, infrastructure design firm here, uh, Stuart Consulting. Uh, do my little acting, and uh, and uh, you know, kind of deal with a lot of these issues that affect our community. That's that's a great segue. You talk about rooted, prof. Uh, Monique. Uh, African-Americans are rooted uh, in this society. We built it, Prof. Uh, th- like those oak roots, I think when you talk about uh, 
America's uh, financial foundation, uh, its world stability, its prominence, Black Americans represent those roots. But there's been great disparity in COVID-19, how it affected us, and now, Monique, how these vaccines are being distributed. Prop, if you don't mind, I want to start with, 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 with our esteemed, uh, it's her show, I, I'm, I'm hosting it, but I want to start with her. I just look stupid. I know the right way to go. Uh, <laughs> Monique, COVID-19, uh, a deep-rooted African-American community, but still treated like we're surface dwellers, even with COVID-19 in the beginning and now with vaccines. Your take on that? Yeah, uh, definitely. Thanks, Oliver. Um, it's it's a it's a challenge. Uh, COVID did not make health disparities, um, but it's exacerbated them, right? COVID has illuminated for a lot of people to see. You know, overwhelmingly, Black and Brown communities are disproportionately have negative outcomes, like um, harder to recover from the from the uh, virus, more challenges with dealing with it. People um, of those communities also have usually uh, lesser access to care. There's providers that serve those communities that have varying levels of responses as well as far as what their tools and their toolbox that are available to them. Um, so it's unfortunate, um, the disproportionate effect that it's had on our community from a health standpoint. Um, additionally, with the vaccine, um, due to various factors, including the history of, of um, and I'm sure Prof will get into the history of mistreatment within the medical community. Um, and a book that actually one of your listeners put me on, Medical Apartheid, the long, long sordid history of misuse and abuse across an experimentation on the black community. So there's a number within the African-American community who may still have their aversions um, about taking the vaccine and accessing the vaccine, even when it becomes available to you. We know there's prioritization that each of the states right. are allocating based on risk levels and sort of things like that. And so variable times when people can can even able to get it right because of that and, and limited supply as it stands today. Um, but yeah, then the aversion to it. So it's, it's I really and I've said it on my series um, on the show. And if you're listening to this and haven't listened to the COVID series, hit pause. Go to that. Come back. We'll pause. Okay, welcome back. Um, but yeah, as we said in there, it's just unfortunate that we want people to still take it, take the vaccine as um, because at some point in the near future, once, you know, I say near, who knows when that near future is, when things become more normal, that vaccine is going to be, I think, people's ticket to getting back into business, getting back into um, what they want to do. And it's a, we don't want communities of color, including the black community, African-American community, whatever, whatever one prof wants to be today. Um, <laughs> we don't want us to be disproportionately affected by disease, dying off early, and then can't get back into the economy um, because, we, because we didn't take advantage of this vaccine when it was available to us. So Damn. that's my two well, cents on that. There are three Bam. cents. Bam, round one. Uh, already a left, right jab. She fainted. Uh, and said, so Prof, whatever you want to be today, you, you've been consistent in challenging the notion uh, about, uh, you know, we're, 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 we, we can be Black, but we're, we're Americans first, right? We built this country, we have as much right to it. Uh, as a constitutional law, professor of law, uh, your job is to talk about what those inalienable rights and all those amendments and all those things mean to our freedom. Uh, but we haven't been treated like Americans uh, during this battle with COVID. 
And now with the distribution of the vaccine, perhaps uh, uh, black Americans, Afro-Americans, it hasn't been fair. Professor uh, Kondo. Yeah, I'm, I'm African-American today. I make the distinction between black and African-American because first, we've been a number of different things over years, right? We were colored, we were Negroes, we were black, um, mm -hmm. we were African-American. But the whole concept of black, um, when we use that, it was used during the, the time period in which we wanted to exert our power. It was black power, mm -hmm. loud, I'm black and my proud. We wanted you to see us with our Afros and our cornrows and our, our Angela Davises and Huey Newtons, we wanted you to see the power of our blackness. And so, um, but it did not necessarily pay homage in my opinion to our ancestry, which is mm -hmm. African of African descent. And so, so with me, I think that we refer, there's a time and a place to be black and a, and, and a moment to be black, but overall, I think we need to be African-American because when we, ask, when we refer to ourselves as African-American, we are, we are telling you, acknowledging our African ancestry, right? We, we refer mm -hmm. to Americans, Asian-American, Hispanic-Americans. Everybody has an acknowledgement of their ancestry, except us. We, we become a color. And so nevertheless, I don't want to get distracted. The whole thing with COVID, the, the thing about COVID, COVID don't discriminate. COVID, the right. color, it's been consistent. White, Black, Asian, Latino, they have all died from COVID. We've had a half a million Americans die of COVID in the last year, and it does not discriminate. Uh, Monique was right in a sense that, that we had pre-existing conditions, which, which made it favorable um, for COVID to attack our community at a disproportionate rate. And for that, we can't blame the man for that. You know, it, it, it comes from our way of life, um, from our, our cultural habits. Um, for those of us down here in New Orleans, it comes from red beans on Mondays with the pickle meat and you know, <laughs> other things that we like to eat, the high sauce that I'm a big fan of, but that's where it comes from. But I think that, that overall, the response to it, um, it has been, in my opinion, it's been equal. We've had, we've had equal opportunity to become vaccinated. Um, the vaccines um, have been rationed out according to some type of population model. Um, I know a lot of black people that got them. The only thing I take issue with, with the vaccination process is the methodology and the age groups that they decided to start with. And OT, you and I on the Good Morning Show have had these conversations before. We started with our elderlies, with the elderly people, the, the population, the people that are most or least likely to go anywhere or, or have the kind of interactions that are necessary in order to keep America going. You know, as opposed to starting with our educators, since we determined that schools were, it was important that we open up schools. You can't give the vaccine to children because it's not approved for children under 16, but certainly the adults, the staff, the teachers, uh, administrators should have been vaccinated, our first responders. And, um, and, and I, I, no, I, I want to I want to segue there because that's an important point. Uh, Ralph, you've been consistent. Uh, you know, you've uh, taken a lot of heat, a lot of country work. Well, first of all, I want to thank you. I think it took Monique Henry and the Victory Podcast for you to give the best explanation of uh, Black versus African American that you've given. And uh, uh, I, I think that I understand that a lot better than we've dealt with on some of the other public uh, 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 talk shows or some of the other public presentations you give. You give. So Monique, uh, you're definitely already bringing out the best 
in Professor Big Dog. Uh, he came. He he came ready uh, today. But but Money Henry, as an executive and a health expert and a scientist in corporate America, Prof has consistently said that first of all, in terms of prioritizing the vaccination, we've done it wrong. We should have started with our children. We should have started with the essential personnel first, and then. You know, uh, well, if you couldn't do it at the same time, dealing with our elderly and those in what he calls the overflow room, we should have dealt with the future and stabilized those folk we need right now. Your take on that? I don't disagree. I don't disagree. Um, I uh, I do question some of the prioritization. I agree the age factor. I don't know necessarily that old people don't go nowhere because if y'all know my grandma she up in these streets she worked right the now. casinos right, right, now. right now she right now. she had carpal tunnel surgery and was <laughs> like her first question was when can i go back to start pressing the buttons at the casino so i do think right every person is going to be different as far as what their potential level of exposure is i agree i don't understand in a world that you're making teachers go back to in-person learning now if they're doing virtual now if, if that makes sense that maybe they don't need to be vaccinated because they're at home like the rest of us, right? Doing their job from home. Um, right. But I, I, I definitely agree. I don't understand sort of some of the prioritization and I, I get a lot of heat at this at work. Cause I just kind of sharing the information, mm -hmm. but I don't, I am not at the level of making those calls as far as those are that as far as vaccine distribution today, right now for the vaccine is that those priorities are set at a government level instituted, um, at the local level as far as how and where they are in those phases and things like that. Um, I definitely agree. Frontline workers, people who have the greatest exposure to people, um, like like grocery workers, all that sort of stuff. Um, healthcare workers, of course, that's, I mean, no one disagrees on that, right? They're on the front lines. They're, they're interacting with patients, all that kind of stuff. Um, they're at the greatest risk of potentially contracting COVID-19. Um, but I agree, teachers should have been um, earlier in the, in the list um, elder people, it's sort of that six in one hand, half done, doesn't in the other. At some point, they need to be vaccinated. They have the most likely death outcomes, but that's true for elderly people in any disease, any situation, anywhere, right? They're old. I mean, no shade on old, but it just, that is, you're closer, you're longer in your life and the more potential. They gave it to a 97-year-old man. Right. Jesus tomorrow. Right. Without COVID. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so yeah. let's stay, let's stay there, Prof. You took some heat early on in a lot of public conversations about that. Now we see uh, the public. I was watching a report preparing for this podcast today, where Chicago is in crisis, um, and many school systems are in crisis because teachers are saying, "Hey, hold on a second, right? You want us to go back to school, but you you don't want to protect us or immunize us." So now we're seeing national reports kind of line up with where you were, Prof, a few months ago. Let's take care of the teachers. Let's get the kids back in school. And we're also reading reports now that some of the better school systems are losing uh, over 40 to 45% of their kids throughout this country. Uh, they're in crisis. Is there a side of you that wants to say, I told you so? Or would you like to see a national policy that pushes this to protect our teachers and get kids back in school? Well, you know, you know I want to say, I told you so. That's what that's. What I, <laughs> I'm petty. I'm petty like that. You know, I want to say I told you so, and I don't mind saying I told you so. But I do want to see the president step in, and I want him to tell him so because right. the district in Alberton, Georgia, the state of Georgia has suspended their vaccination 
clinic there. They built they built a brand new clinic with trailers and everything for this. They were vaccinating along with the elderly. They were vaccinating educators. And when and when the state found out they were vaccinating educators, they have suspended their vaccination program for six months. And it makes absolutely no sense. I understand that they didn't necessarily follow the rules. Mm -hmm. It makes sense. And it didn't lead to what they sought to accomplish. And that is the problem with bureaucracy. And I think the president needs to step in. Forget about these age requirements, 60 years old and, and all of this other kinds of stuff. Man, you have to invest in the future. You have to get the people that are still contributing to the system, um, that are still funding the system, that are still out here buying houses, buying cars, um, um, contributing to Medicaid, Medicare. That's who you need in order to sustain our economy. And so uh, we got this wrong, but it's gonna take President Biden to come out and say, hey, we, we, we're not gonna penalize this clinic in Elberton, Georgia for vaccinating educators right. because they are on the front line. They're frontline workers. Uh, we, man, we could stay here. Uh, all day, man, but we have a, uh, a host of topics, man, that I think the public needs to hear you guys mix up on it. And I think President Biden is, uh, Professor and uh, uh, Monique, uh, President Trump was. President Biden has said when asked, you know, there's usually some skepticism around trials for ex-presidents or, or making our presidential leaders, man, have to answer to uh, charges or Something, you know, in history, we usually like to just let them go because it's an image or a smudge on America. But President Biden has said this impeachment trial has to happen. Uh, Prof, your take on this impeachment trial, uh, does it have to happen? Should it happen? And for Monique, uh, do we need to go through this uh, so the world can take a look at what we're doing with the former president? Prof, you first. Yeah, it, it has to happen. It has to happen. We have to clean up this mess. It is not. It is not like in, in other situations, like when Nixon left office. Um, you know, it, we tidied up everything and, and we absolved him from all sin, and we let him go, and he rode off into the sunset. Trump left behind an ideology. He left behind elitism, racism, supremacy. He left behind ideologies that that are living on well beyond his presidency. And so we gotta clean up this mess. The whole world saw what happened on January 6th as uh, individuals breached capital security and invaded democracy. They invaded democracy, the sacred halls of the Capitol. They interrupted a constitutionally mandated process with violence. The whole world saw it. And so we can't be, we can't engage in American exceptionalism in 2021. You know, that it's okay for us to go out and liberate other countries while we ourselves um, remained in bondage and remained oppressors at home. That we can no longer do. We got away with that once during the civil rights movement um, in World War II and all of these other movements, but we can't, we can no longer do it, OT. So they, they get rid of them. They gotta, they gotta prosecute them to the fullest extent of the law. M Money Henry, an impact on America's uh, exceptionalism? Uh uh, protecting the office of the presidency uh, is Professor right? Uh, he's a hundred percent right. Oh my God, I can't believe. Oh, oh, chills. I scare myself. Yeah. Um, no, I I've been saying that to people because um, there's a lot of talk, talk, talk on social media. Well, you know, when they first wanted to bring the um, the second round of impeachment trials, like oh, 
but he's almost out. I was like, this is not about he's about to leave. The ideology that Prof talks about is transcending and continues. And we see this with the the congresswoman, uh, what's her face? Uh, Green. Green. Yes, Green. Green. Marjorie Green. That foolishness is still alive and well. So if we don't stop and say, as Americans... As human beings, as people who say we're for democracy, as Prof said, we go fight for democracy, establish democracies in other parts of the world, take down dictators, uh, where overseeing the government is frowned upon, we issue sanctions and all these kind of things that we do to, to other places in the world. If we don't stand up and say this is wrong and, and get people, all these senators and Congress people to be on the record that in a clear and obvious evidence of sedition executed by a sitting president at the time of the United States of America was not wrong, that you're gonna stand on and roll the tape back because we got tape and the internet lives forever, that these people will say it wasn't wrong or it didn't bother them enough to say that this was a problem. That's absolutely ridiculous. So regardless of the actual outcome, um, and whether we get, I think it's uh, 60 votes that's required in order for to remove yeah. what's he's already removed from office, but to prevent him, all the other things of preventing him from running again and all that kind of running stuff. Again. Yeah, regardless of whether we actually achieve that, I hope we do. I hope we have, you know, enough people that mm-hmm. will kind of cross the aisle. It's not even about Democrat versus Republican on this issue. This is not a political, should not be let's say, a political issue about parties. This is about the, the soul of democracy for the United States of America. And if we don't, if we don't do the right thing, that's one thing, but we can't just stop in the middle. You need to so take it all the way through. That. So let's talk about that. We got Monique Henry Watson in this uh, corner, Professor Big Dog Black Condal in the other corner. I wish I had the bell from the Good Morning Show but, but there, I, I, I called the early bird too late to bring it. So, so let's stay there. We're talking about the soul of democracy. We're going to stay with you, Monique Henry. And I want, Prof, I want your take. Does the GOP have a soul? Uh, we, sh- we shall see. I mean, they are, there are sprinklings of a soul within certain members that have been willing that on that evening of January 6th and on into the wee hours of January 7th that stood up and made statements um, you know, discrediting and, you know, saying this is absolutely wrong and at least backpedaling if they were on the other side or just saying this is ridiculous. Uh, people like Mitt Romney, who I'm not a Romney fan. He's not, he's not my homie, but his <laughs> speech on the floor of the Senate that evening saying that this is wrong to lie to people and to really call it out for what it was so I think there's sprinklings of a soul. There are okay. people that are still, despite the president having left office, that are still afraid of his base. This ideology that Prof speaks about that still exists of energized and especially at the congressional level where these races are smaller and what that specific community they may represent and what the responses will be of that. So, uh, but, but Prof, Mitt Romney's not your homie either. Uh, uh, he's uh, uh, from Utah and you're from Boscoville right here. Uh, uh, in New Orleans, and you and you have been equally as critical of uh, of Democrats uh, as as Republicans. Uh, the GOP, though, uh, the, you know, do they have a soul? Do they get it well, when it comes to Donald Trump? Well, in order, you use the term soul, OT. 
and and that that is a that is a um, something that is identified with a belief in some type of higher being. Right. Uh, you have to have a sense of morality in order to have a soul, um, a consciousness. And so I can go back historically, you know, people always Thomas Jefferson had a soul. He was a Christian. A lot of people that, that came over and founded America were Christians. They, they had a sense of morality, but yet they still engaged in slavery. They still owned slaves, although he believed that it was wrong and, and wanted to one day liberate the slaves, um, but recognized that the climate was not right at that time, at the time that we um, left Great Britain. Lincoln had a soul. He didn't necessarily like black people. You know, we glorify right. about the Emancipation Proclamation, which in fact was just an executive order issued to a country that that had already formed their own uh, government, had their own president, had their own constitution, and didn't have any legal impact upon them. Um, all those slaves left and it impacted them agriculturally and economically. But Lincoln uh, wanted gradual emancipation. He was gonna let 10 people go every year. 10 slaves was gonna be free every year. He, he yeah. didn't that we would, we would still be getting free. So, we, we, yeah, we, we'd still be rolling off the plantation. Yeah, we would still be leaving gradually. He had a gradual emancipation plan. Um, and, and so at the end of the day, I, I do think that some morality does exist within the GOP. You know, um, I said before, all, um, all Republican party members are not racist, but I can guarantee you that most races will identify as being Republican. <laughs> And so, but this issue is not even having to do with race. It has to do with just being American. It has to do with democracy. And, and, and as, as one said, they are afraid of the base. Trump is gone, but they still are afraid. They represent those districts where those 72, 73 million people that voted for Trump. Right. And so they, yeah, I, I do think some of them do have a soul. This is Oliver Thomas, man, uh, co-host of the Good Morning Show, along with the professor, the early bird. Uh, again, on the Victory Podcast, man, uh, with its host, uh, Monique Henry Watson, uh, in one corner and in the other corner, uh, Professor Big Dog uh, Blair Condal from Dillard University. That brings me to, uh, I'm loving the way the topics and, and, and the ability to segue, that brings me to Black America in general uh, right now. We, we talked about the impact on COVID and dis disparate impact. Uh, we talked about the, the disparate impact in terms of how the vaccine's being rolled out. But when you talk about the effects of COVID right now, uh, when you talk about its impact on us financially, employment, housing, uh, our social and economic standing, no community professor is bearing a greater brunt than Black America, even in terms of kids not being able to attend school. Can Black America survive this? And if we can, what will it take to help us at least begin to uh, have some solid foundation going through and coming out of COVID. OOT, um, I mean, I, I let off talking about them oak trees on mm -hmm. Dillard's campus that were planted over a hundred years ago. They're deeply rooted. They've withstood all kinds of disasters and storms um, and they're not going anywhere. You gotta think about it. We, we came over here, those of us that are of African ancestry rode ships through the middle passage for months and only the strong survived. We only brought the best DNA to America. And that's what I think people don't think about. Those African slaves that made it here were the strongest of the strong. They endured hardship and we only brought the best DNA. And so as a result of this, we have been able to survive in situations and circumstances 
that many other races and cultures and ethnicities would have, would have long um, perished. So I think that we will survive, that we are very resilient people. We are very adaptive people. Um, we, we, our, our weakest link is becoming educated about that, and myself included. I wasn't gonna take the vaccine. You know, I, 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 I opposed it. I, I didn't know enough about it. Um, but at the end of the day, I said, what the hell? You know, I'd rather take my chances with it than without it. And so I just think that that once we overcome this whole educational issue, we're going to be all right. But I, I think we're going to survive, OT. Uh, Monique Henry, uh, uh, for, for Watson, for a class of people in a race that built this country, that put it on track to being the greatest wealthiest nation in the world, Prof mentioned two words, surviving resilient. Why do we have to keep surviving and being resilient? Uh, isn't that talk, shouldn't that time be long past dude? Don't we deserve the fruits of this uh, of this nation? Even though with the challenges of COVID-19, money? I mean, we do deserve it. And I think that's the key is, um, you know, there's a lot of effort. And this just reminds me of a conversation I had just recently talking with a couple of people around DEI and diversity, equity, inclusion, and this effort that, that has been in progress for 30 years, 40 years of, you know, putting black and brown people or not putting, but keeping the doors open instead of shutting them immediately, making opportunities for people. And, and, and I think what's, what's troubling is that a lot of people, one, it's not on us to sort of make sure that we have room and a seat at the table or, or make the table or, or at the head of the table. Um, what we need to do is twofold. There's two, two veins, places where we make our own table. You don't wanna set yours, we're gonna do our own thing. So supporting black and brown businesses, um, growing entrepreneurship, those who are successful entrepreneurs going back and, and helping to grow communities um, and, and kind of giving them the tools in the tools box using their, their, um, their efforts in that way, using that Sankofa, go back and to previous younger generations and bring them forward to grow within, their own, within our own community, one. Two, the work of diversity, equity, inclusion is, should not and must not fall on people that look like you and I. We've been on, I, I know I'm probably not alone that everyone on this call has been asked to be on panels or teams and talk about the importance of, of you know, diverse spaces or whatever, whatever. Um, that's not our work. And that is not the work, right? The, the work of like growing and building that portfolio falls on um, people who don't look like you and I, people of the opposite persuasion. Um, so I think that's, that's key is that, and it's starting to happen where we have people in VC spaces and making room and, and being conscious and in those rooms at a corporate level that are, that are really aware and done playing the game to some point and said, I'm going to make sure I'm opening opportunities for other people. So I think there's a mixture of those things that, that need to happen, but that's where the next frontier is. I do agree with Prof that we will, um, continue to, grow and will endure and black people are the most resourceful, strong beings um, ever in life. But uh, yeah, that's sort of where I think on that. So, so before we uh, put some local flavor into this, uh, I want to stay there with, uh, with our culture, uh, with black folk, uh, right? Uh, but a certain segment of uh, black folk, uh, prof, 
Uh, we're celebrating Black women now, uh, Monique. Uh, we know specifically uh, as one of the leading corporate African-American females and scientists in this country and what you do with your corporation, you were extremely proud of uh, Kamala Harris. Uh, you're extremely proud of many women of color now who are in places and spaces that not only were they not allowed in, uh, that were void, especially of, of, of African-American or black females. Uh, talk about the importance of that, that image, but not just that image, the power of black women in powerful and influential spaces. Apologies, I must have accidentally hit the mute button. Yeah, it's absolutely um, fantastic to have someone like Kamala Harris um, at the forefront in such a powerful position. And I think it's amazing what that will continue to do. And we don't really even know the bounds of where that imagery and that you know presence is going to really stand for the future. But I'm very excited for it. I think it's important um, that that as this continues, that these images and, and people like myself have a, have a duty um, to continue to grow and, and mentor and, and grow the next generation, right? So that's, that's our calling. That's, that's, our, our, that's our part of our work and that Sankofa kind of mindset. Um, but I think it's so amazing when we have people like Kamala Harris, people like Stacey Abrams, who was nominated for a, a, a Nobel Peace Prize for her work that she's done. Um, and these amazing, beautiful black women um, who continue to, to grow and lift and become um, you know, standpoints. And even on smaller scales, people that I've known and worked with uh, in the Senate, Angelique Roche, who's done podcasts. So I think that's an amazing space in history where we are and we'll, and we'll see as we continue um, where that continues to grow and let us go. Uh, Prof, we've been fortunate enough to have some amazing women uh, on our show, like Monique Henry uh, Watson, uh, Stacey Ab Abrams, not too long ago. I've had Maxine Waters on. Uh, uh, in the past, uh, uh, our mayor, uh, we had Donna Brazil, uh, then on the Good Morning Show. Uh, and Prof, you've continued to celebrate our women. You're married to a strong uh, professional Black women. But you've also asked this question, are we celebrating Black women and forgetting about Black men uh, in terms of what their place is in America? Prof, is that something we have to be concerned about? Most definitely. Oh man, I, I'm I'm in I'm celebrating all the great successes of our black women. You can throw Roz Brewer into right, yeah. the new CEO of uh, Walgreens. You know, just got a big twenty-five million dollar signing bonus. I ain't got no problems with that. No, I ain't got no problems. I ain't got no problems if my woman make more money than me. Mm. I have no problems with that. But let's be clear about something, OT. I am still the king of my castle. I'm still the provider, the protector, the profit of my household. And so with that, um, we are going to, to rule jointly. We're going to um, advance together. Mm. But we're not going to leave. No man will be left behind, you know? And I think that that's what we have to keep in mind, that, that society has always sought to elevate the Black woman over the Black man, even going back to um, the whole affirmative action thing, you know, where, where they were required to hire a minority um, and women, um, and so they hired a, a minority black woman. So kill two birds with one stone. So I just think that our black women have to remain uh, vigilant now that it's their turn to, to lead us, right? And we have to be willing to allow them to lead and follow them, be a good soldier, you know, 
And, and at some point, they're going to say, well, come on, now it's your turn. Uh, we're going to follow you. So, so, so I think that I'm, I'm proud of them. I'm proud of them. Malik leading, following along the side. The last time we have this, had this conversation, uh, you, you reminded Prof that you have a proud black man at home. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, uh, Mr. Watson, that uh, uh, you have no issue with, with uh, lifting up and celebrating uh, black men, Monique. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's, um, and it goes back, you know, further even than affirmative action, but the importance of, you know, the, the idea of, of uh, you know, with welfare and things, if you had a black man in the home, that would, you know, change some of your benefits and not being able to do certain things. So there was the intentional destructuring of the black family. And we need to um, continue to flip that script, right, to as a woman, this is my personal opinion, people can leave their households how, how they may, but I think it's important at, as, as a people that we elevate each other. And like Prof is saying, beautiful black queen that he's married to, I'm married to a beautiful black man, to continue to lift each other up. It's not a, the us versus them. And, and this goes throughout the black community, mm -hmm. overall children, babies, adults of all ages, that it, it, we have to make sure that we're uh, moving away from this us versus them. If one person succeeds, doesn't mean that I can't also succeed. Um, there, We need to build each other up as a community and to support um, black men and black women. So I think it's definitely not a us versus them. It's all of us together. And I'm of the mind, and it's funny, during our vows, um, during our, my pastor still uses the traditional vows and especially the woman's part being obey. And a lot of people, feminists and all this kind of stuff get caught up in those kind of terminology right. and being, you know, being um, obeying and being, you know, um, I'm looking for the word. Um, subservient. Being subservient. subservient. But if you're not this is the thing. You can't be subservient and submitted. That's the word I was right. thinking. Being submitted to yeah. a man, right? right? You shouldn't be submitted to any man, not just because they're a man, right? And that's this key about you know relationships and people as well. You, if you, if you're not married to someone that you can't follow and you don't believe in their vision for your family, why are y'all together? Great you point. You should be submitted to him and he submitted to you, right? We're working together. I, I tell my husband all the time, we're, we're co-CEOs, right? We make decisions for this and our future family together, right? We're both able to. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm going to like jump up and do all the things and whatever, whatever. I'm going to let my husband be the man, whatever that means for him. And the definition of manhood is wider and deeper than 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 anything that's been defined today. So that runs a whole gamut and we can do a whole separate podcast on ma masculinity and manhood and, and what and that we means. will change. <laughs> another, another episode we'll have y'all back on. But I think, I think it's important to just, it's not us versus them, but yeah, I'm, we're, we're doing this together. I, 
I submit to him as my husband and head of our household. Um, and he's, you know, in areas that I do well or succeed, or that's my vein. Like when we talk about COVID stuff, I'm a public health right. professional. I went to school for this. We were talking the other day. So what are you thinking about when the next time we're going to go to Russian? He's not hitting me up. Like we're going to go in an open outside dining. Let's go today. <laughs> like, no, our lane is our lane and, and whatever those lanes are and how you define it for your family too. Right. Like the traditional, that may be different for everybody. If a dad, if a guy wants to be, and if y'all family set up that he's the stay at home parent, that's fine. That works for y'all. I'm not going to tell you what that's going to be for me, but I think as long as y'all are submitted to each other, you have friendship and, and respect for each other. Then I think together as, as in our case, it's a black man, black woman, whatever you got going on at your house, I think you just need to be on the same page. So being submitted, submissive to, to another person is not about some, um, you know, slavery style. Yeah. Oh, yes, sir. And just Not anything about you say. Yes, right. you should. It should yeah. be equal level respect, but understand that 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 person um, as your as your partner needs right. to be. Y'all need to be on one accord. So being submitted to another, if y'all are going the same way and somebody if we all have to line up, somebody's got to be we the front of the line. We got you, Monique. You are clear. Prop yes, yeah. hey, I've been listening. I'm just listening. Hey, Prop. Well, hey, man, look, first of all, man, what we build is from the left and the right or from this side or that side of that corner. It's quickly turning into two intellectuals, uh, two African-American professionals uh, uh, who are informed and, and care deeply about our issues. And it's, it's, it's obvious to anyone listen, listening uh, who's going to watch this uh, 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 rebroadcast of this show, uh, why the Victory Podcast and why the Good Morning Show are so popular. But get, let's put some local favor in this, right? Talked about roots, uh, rituals, uh, morals, beliefs, soul. Well, man, New Orleans is uh, known for uh, uh, rituals, man. And one of the greatest uh, uh, international rituals in the history of the world, Mardi Gras, uh, is not going to be the same, Prof uh, and Monique Henry Watson. Some people are wondering if we should close down the whole city and and make sure uh, some people are concerned that people are going to forget about we're just in a limited phase two prof and have Mardi Gras parties and flood Bourbon Street and flood downtown. Uh, Mardi Gras 2021, Professor Big Dog. Yeah, I, I told me a long time ago to just stop telling people getting the expectations of top 10 people are going to do it different. And because when you people don't understand different, they understand you're going to do it. You know, things are either opened or they closed. They don't understand phase one, phase two, phase <laughs> point one. They understand open and close. So if you tell me we're just not having Mardi Gras, we just keep moving like, I got class on Mardi Gras. We teaching, we right. teach on Mardi Gras and Ash Wednesday and, and all of that. But I understand that the, that the mayor has spent some city money or got money from somewhere to, to put fence around the, the bridge and the Claiborne and keep people from going under there. Well, they were going under there anyway. They still was having second lines. But that's what I'm talking about. We should be using that opportunity to test people, give them the vaccinations, all of these different things, if we're not going to be closed. Just tell people we closed. Don't tell people decorate your house and we're going to have oaks and the floats and all of this, floats and the oaks and all of this kind. No, we just ain't having nothing. Stay home, and uh, that's the way it is. Money Henry Watson, one of the greatest celebrations in the world, over several million people on the street, uh, our little city that you're from, man, uh, balloons from a few hundred thousand people to millions. Uh, every Mardi Gras, 
should we have it? Should it be limited? Should we be controlled? And then Prof's take, which he's consistently said, folk don't understand phase one to phase four. People understand open and closed. Monique Henry Watson, is it relates to Mardi Gras? Yeah, I think I, uh, I definitely think it should be closed. I, th- I understand the, the creative unction and desire to have something because Mardi Gras is like, I don't know, breath to New Orleans, right? It's like the, it's such ingrained, even if you're like, I leave town for Mardi Gras because there'd be so many people and I live on, you know, Saint, off of St. Charles and it's just craziness. It's such a cultural part of us. So I get the like innate soul driving desire to have something. I like the idea. Maybe this is from the 30,000, you know, 3000 miles away view, but these house float things, let me tell you what, that's cute. And I wish they had more pictures, but the maps and kind of doing it in a different way, I think is very interesting. And I almost wish that that trend continues, um, that that opens up Mardi Gras to just more than just the parade route areas right. in a different way. Um, so I, I personally, I, it's, it's a question about how it's executed. And I don't know without being there as much, but um I like the idea of some alternative Mardi Gras, like the house float, a uh, mm. crew of house floats or house house crew. I don't know yeah. what they call it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that's a great alternative. I, I do understand the whole phase one, phase two, phase three is not very clear, um, um, can be confusing for people. Um, yeah, I don't know how detailed the, the Louisiana Department of Health. I know like in California, they have it kind of in tiers with colors. Wow that kind of help people. And then they have a great like online, you just look up, you know, instead of parishes, they have counties. So look up your county and then look up the type of business you're looking for and whether they're open, that's where you'll know. It's very simple in that way. Um, COVID, uh, the, uh, whether the GOP has a soul, impeach this president, uh, the state of black America, uh, Mardi Gras, African-American versus black, We've discussed uh, a lot of issues, uh, uh, guys. Uh, Prof, I want to start with you with this as we close out the, the, uh, this show and this segment, man. First of all, I want to thank you all for uh, picking me and allowing me to f- facilitate between two people I admire and respect a lot. Uh, Prof, you have been dubbed a conspiracy theorist, cons- now conspiracy strategist. Uh, you have a formula for how you deal with information that uh, uh, everybody knows about here. Uh, uh, especially in New Orleans or who listens to the show, uh, you have uh, consistently promoted Jeff Thomas's movement of Think 504, thinking below the surface. Uh, we, we got COVID, uh, coronavirus, COVID-19. We have uh, uh, a mutant virus, uh, uh, two and three now. Uh, conspiracy, strategy, or Mother Nature, Professor? Uh, it's a mixture of all. It's a mixture. I, you know, I've had some time. I started off with just a conspiracy, you know, uh-huh. that it was weaponized. Um, and I, I believe that it's, it's, a, it's a combination of all. I think that it was it's a man-made disease. It was created. Um, we've been uh, trying to discover how to weaponize biological weapons um, that will negatively affect the population. Um, it strategically kills. Most healthy people will, will, not, will not be negatively impacted by it. Um, it's not a big fan. I mean, it doesn't negatively impact our children, uh, even though some children have died of it. 
But I think that it's, it's, it, it, they used, um, created a weapon that would be perfect for nature, that would be able to exist in nature, that would be able to be spread through nature, that would be able to be transmitted through nature. So I think it's a little bit of both. And, and I think that, um, I, I just think that we have to stay vigilant um, when dealing with the government. Uh, President Obama tried to warn us years ago. Uh, he created a whole agency to be on the lookout for it because he knew it was coming. And I think that that this is the thing, and, and this is the last thing I say about this. Um, after Trump stole, after a uh, Bush stole the election, right? The Bush Gore election, we had the 9-11. We knew who the 9-11 people were. They were planning an attack. They were learning how to fly. We had all the information on them and they allowed it to happen because it distracted the country away from what was going on. Well, Trump was the same way. You know, um, we had, if anybody had a claim for election theft and fraud, it was Hillary Clinton. And so I, I think that that um, this was a man-made situation that was perfect for nature and that now we, we're just experiencing the mutations and everything else that goes along with it. So I'm just gonna jump in here. Money. Yeah, my, my uh, comment here is, uh, I think it's a very low likelihood that it was any kind of weaponized conspiracy theorist government issued thing. And I say that because this is very similar to um, MERS and SARS that happened in other parts of the world that happened naturally as well. So um, I, I don't believe that. And, and, and the variations, everything in, in nature um, adapts and evolves, period, point blank. So having different variants, things that change and adapt in order for it to live and succeed. Um, that's part of how nature and evolution works. Um, thirdly, I agree that Obama did warn against this. And that was part of being aware of, like I stated, these previous pandemics and things that affected other parts of the world more significantly of similar diseases and things. Um, but Trump in all his wisdom question mark uh dismantle that in his attempts to just throw out completely the obama legacy just anything that obama created done started he did his best to blow it up um as quickly as possible regardless of the impacts so um i i think this was less i think if if it had been a government conspiracy by 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 trump's organization it would he would have responded better in a way that made him like bush a war time president, right? As as crazy and whatever, people didn't really care for Bush, whatever the controversies of him coming in office. If 9-11 happened, people, I don't agree that the conspiracy, I think it was just, un, people didn't take the, the, the information seriously or weren't necessarily looking for the, the, right, the right information. But had Trump planned it, one would think he would have, responded better in a way that allowed him to be the savior of the country. This had, he had actually quite the opportunity to do, to turn this into a win for him. If he had listened to the scientists early on, if he had made masking not political or made it political in a way like this is what we got to do for America and real Americans wear masks to stop this disease and da, 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 da. That would have been his opportunity. And honestly, as we know, 70 something million that voted for him, he probably would have won the election because, you know, people and voters don't think long term. They think in the short term and what they're experiencing right now is COVID-19. So his lack of response, 
And then the tapes that came out about them not taking it seriously, about them, you know, lying about it, you know, underplaying it to government entities. And that would have let them respond in a different way. If he had done the right things, he probably honestly would be president today. Regardless of all the isms and the crazy stuff he said and all the foolishness, people focus on what's happening right now and where is my state of mind? How is my life going? COVID is affected. COVID's front of mind. He didn't respond correctly. Put together these boobaloo task teams, didn't let them do what they needed to do. Sidelining professionals that have been addressing this, like Fauci, just kind of muffling them as often, not listening to them. Um, so that was his opportunity for a win. And if it had been a conspiracy, he would have taken it and ran with it and it'd be Trump round two. But there's no I think it's just we've had similar diseases in the past and diseases adapt and confirm. And then what unfortunately, I think, which is not surprising for the for for that part of the world in China, trying to tamp it down and downplay it until it was gone beyond their control. That didn't help the situation. Um, and the severity that they had early on. And um, so that's where I think where the COVID um, factually um, is uh, not that foolish that way, foolishness that you were talking. But. Well, let me thank you uh, as I prepare for my next uh, uh, panel discussion. Uh, uh, thank you uh, for this opportunity to once again be on Victory Park uh, podcast. Uh, and I'm so happy that uh, uh, the professor's audition was successful, man, and uh, he earned the right to be on one of the hottest podcasts in the country right now. And and folk around around the country is gonna uh, will get a chance to see a man uh, who's not versed on a lot of issues, but uh, adds a lot to the intellectual and the social and the emotional discussion about where we were in this time. Prof, anything you want to add uh, to the Queen and the host of the Victory Podcast before we no, close I'm, out this segment? I'm just thankful to uh, Monique. Uh, for allowing me to participate, to finally make it to the big time. Man, and let me tell you something, she's doing some amazing things, holding some amazing necessary conversations with the community. And I just I just want to encourage her to keep doing her thing and holler at your boy from time to time. That's all. Well, yeah. I think I think that's how, look, that discussion on uh, the, the state of uh, uh, black male and black female, you know, she put that out there. I accept it, Prof, on your behalf. <laughs> So, uh, I think that's another good segment. We'll have to have y'all yeah. on and talk about masculinity and its narrow yeah, definition yeah, yeah, you and know, stuff. Yeah, ma masculine, maybe we maybe we'll be able to get a shot for that prop uh, for a uh, high <laughs> testosterone and high masculinity. But but as two black men uh, who honor black women, uh, we were fortunate enough to I think to be on uh, one of the most important young African American women in this country, man. What you're trying to do as a health professional, as an executive in a major cor corporation. Uh, I can say for prop that we were uh, honored uh, just to be able to have this discussion with you about very important issues. So, uh, look, what you're doing is extremely important and we support your sister. So anything you want to add before we close out? Money can no. the victory podcast. No, absolutely. Thank you so much, Oliver OT, to squeeze us in. I know your Saturday is like go from eyes open to eyes closed. So thank you so much. And thank you so much, Prof, yeah. uh, for sitting down. Um, this was, I think, a great discussion. Um, and actually surprising that how much we sort of are aligned on, on a lot of issues. That's that HBCU, Howard, that's Dillard. That's <laughs> that connection. That's this that time. right there. This, this time. time. We, we might. Black today. <laughs> we black today. We black today. Yeah. Mark it in time. Mark it in time. Um, but absolutely. Thank you for having y'all on. 
and um, appreciate the conversation. And we'll have to schedule another one to go through about masculinity. It's definitely a topic that's interesting. And to get you all as a seasoned uh, gentleman, you're not allowed to say old, I don't think, anymore. Um. <laughs> God bless, guys. Y'all have a wonderful day. The Victory right. Podcast. Monique Henry All Watson, right. Professor Big Dome. So thanks again to Prof and OT for spending some time to really talk about some really uh, pressing in issues in this country and uh, really great conversations and surprisingly more aligned than I thought we would be starting off, but uh, always good to have these conversations. So thanks again for, for them taking their time. As always, you can share this podcast with your friends, your family, and even your enemies. Um, you can find us on all your favorite podcast platforms. Visit our website at thevictorypodcast.com, and there you can find the page for our episode player and listen to this episode directly there. Or if you visit the Where to Listen page, you can find us across all the different podcast platforms there where we exist. If you'd like to support this podcast, you can do that in a number of ways. You can visit our website and on the Patreon and Merch page, Patreon and Merch page, you will see... Um, the opportunity to support and become a Patreon member, where starting in March, there'll be some exclusive Patreon-only content, as well as um, special Patreon-only merchandise as well. Uh, additionally, you can just buy merch directly um, from our T Public uh, page, and that'll go to support this podcast. I'll end this episode as I do every episode. Every problem has a solution. It's whether you're willing to do the work to find it. Let's do the work and be victorious.